the doomsdays of life. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. Of course, we are a program produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene, and I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and you can follow me on Twitter at J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. Please, show us your things. Like this video, which is, someone actually sent this to us. They had a ghost sighting the other night, and they sent this to us. The driver noticed something strange, so they pulled over and tried to film it. You'll see in the middle of the car's windshield, two dots appear. They float around and then drift away. Here, we'll see if we can't put a circle here so you'll be able to see it clearly. There are the two dots. They float and drift. And here, we'll slow it down and try to make it a little easier to see. And then they float right on off the screen. It's a really strange and peculiar thing to see. Well, I have no idea what that was exactly. Yeah, that is something which was quite bizarre, and we'll just let you decide again for time purposes. We're <laughs> going to try to move along. Um, we've got some interesting news for you today. We are going to talk about whether or not people are prepared for the doomsdays that happen in life and the suffering which is intrinsic to life, and some suffering is quite severe. But before we get there and we talk about dreams which may be broken or horrors that happen in life, let's talk about some dreams which have actually come true. First and foremost, over in France, because all things terrible um, happen in France, there was a lion cub that was found for sale in a child's bed in a Paris apartment. And now this is from Sky News. And apparently what happened is there was an owner of this apartment or a resident living there, someone renting it, and they had a lion cub advertised on social media. And when the police arrived to investigate this, they found the lion cub in a child's bed. Amanda, what do you think about this? Well, this is quite fascinating. And a couple of the things like that, I find the most enjoyable about this article is one, a person decided that it was a good plan to have a lion club, a lion cub. And then secondly, that where this lion cub would be, would be in proximity to their children so close that it would reside in, in their bed. And then three decided, well, we need to get rid of the lion cub. We're not going to post it, you know, on the dark net or go into the black market and try to find how we can secretly sell this thing. No, no, no. We're just going to post it on social media and uh, hope that the police just happen not to notice it? I don't know. Yeah, it's not a very bright criminal. And also, after the police came, they were hiding basically under the kitchen sink. They actually went and got in a cupboard and hid after the police arrived. <laughs> so not the brightest criminal. But then again, I don't know that anything good goes on in France. And <laughs> um, we've been having a lot of computer trouble lately. Um, our computer downloaded a different driver for the sound for the sound card that it has. In other words, it downloaded software for hardware that does not exist in our laptop. And I'm convinced that all meetings like that <laughs> happen in France. All the Windows computers got together and they said, mm, we, we, what if we download the software for the hardware that we do not have? And <laughs> that was the end of it. Um, one final thought though, is this person, I know you, it's, it's easy to read this and slip up and say lion club instead of lion cub. What are the chances this person is actually a part of a lion club <laughs> if they have a lion cub in their house? Oh, I guess so. I guess so. All right. The next thing we have that's interesting is a Jeep club in Florida. They were there to deal with a house that turned over. And we've got a bit of a video clip to play here for you. And it's, it's pretty interesting. And as you see through this, they're not actually using the Jeep's engines to turn this house over. And for those listening to the podcast, um, let me just narrate this for you a little bit. There is a house turned over on its side from a hurricane. And some members in a local Jeep club came together. They took the winches on the front of their Jeep. They attached it 
over to the house and they're pulling the house back over on its top. Now this is the dream of all people who own a Jeep. Of course, the more orthodox of a Jeep owner you are, the more likely you are to have a winch on the front and a barn jack somewhere outside. Yep. And I think this pretty much speaks for itself. Pretty entertaining stuff, and that is definitely a dream for the Jeep crowd. What do you think, Amanda? Do you think if you are a, a orthodox <laughs> Jeep owner that you are prepared for this? I, I guess so. I don't really I don't understand. I like how you were uh, picking on the French because uh, the Lion Cub thing, and then now, of course, this takes place in Florida, and I think that pretty well sums up the entirety <laughs> of, of what needs to be said. Um, it probably does. And, you know, the Jeep crowd is interesting. The people who love to Jeep, they love to Jeep. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. More power to them. More power to them, indeed. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to have a great conversation about how do we deal with the apocalypse? How do we deal with the doomsday crisis? Hollywood always portrays that doomsday things happen. It's the end of the world. But in reality, there are great crises that come, great sufferings that come into life. And it's not actually the end of the world. You still have to live afterwards and you still have to put the pieces back together. So we'll take a break and remember to subscribe and like our channel. And now that we're coming back together, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking a bit about themes from the book of Zechariah. Now, we're not going to be doing a lot of reading from the book of Zechariah, but for those of you who may follow Jolton Church of the Nazarene, where I pastor, I've been doing a sermon series out of the book of Zechariah, and I wanted us on the podcast to have some conversations about things which are more dialogic and not necessarily something which can be communicated well in the sermon format. So what we're going to do is Anthony is going to present some themes and statements and questions regarding the content from the book of Zechariah, and Amanda and myself, we're going to respond to those. So Anthony, if you would go ahead and open up with this. Why are you talking about Zechariah as if it was in a post-apocalyptic book? Isn't it just another prophetic text? Okay, that's a great question. In the entirety of the time I've spent in the book of Zechariah, and even other similar books like Haggai, I've been describing them as a post-apocalyptic book. And the reason why is they take place in an interesting window of time where a real doomsday calamity had happened. King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, he came and destroyed Jerusalem. And he didn't just do it once. He had several trips where he went to Jerusalem, ultimately ending in this great calamity which destroyed the city. And it wasn't like a mild destroying of the city where someone came and conquered, but it was literally war machines were set up around and the people were trapped inside the city for a very, very, very long time. They had all their food and water cut off. They were starving. People started to lust after one another's blood and the meat on one another's bones and they wanted to eat one another. It was a very horrifying thing. It turned a lot of people into monsters. There was disease, bodies everywhere. And eventually... The war machines, they crush down the walls of Jerusalem. They come and crush the, the temple and all the city. And again, you know you're in the doomsday when things made out of brick, mortar, and stone are lit on fire. And that's what was going on. All of this Jerusalem burned. And as time went on, the people of God, they lost the Ark of the Covenant. They thought God was silent. How could God be with you if there is no Ark of the Covenant? There's no physical thing showing God is with you. The people were in a real doomsday. It was something not unlike the world of Mad Max or any other post-apocalyptic world. 
Amanda, do you have any thoughts on that before we go to the next statement? Yeah, and, and I think something, um, if you've kind of studied how we organize a lot of time our scripture and we put Zechariah and the prophets, and that's perfectly fine, but we have to hear, I think we have to dive deeper than sometimes the labels we even put on, on text. And so uh, Zechariah is a prophet, which basically means he is a mouthpiece of God. So it doesn't have to do so much with like a crystal ball and predicting the future as much as it is proclaiming God's message in the midst of this. And we do find um, in this text, yeah, something that seems to come out of a Hollywood movie um, just awful, horrific things that, that can only be imagined in the worst um, possible of circumstances. And generations passed. Yeah, there was a long period. Several generations came and lived, and even some lived and died, and they thought, God is gone. No more Ark of the Covenant, no more temple, no more Jerusalem. God has left us. But somewhere in the midst of that, God started working and saying to people, you know, the doomsday has happened, but you've got to put the pieces together. And this is what happens in our lives. The second section, whether this is on a mass scale or on a, on a personal level, it is difficult for people to live through a crisis with their moral compass intact. All right, this is also something true. Suffering is intrinsic to life. I, I know people who have had horrific things happen to them, very tragic things where they've lost a lung of one, and even people who have, have lost a child. I don't know that you can find anything that ranks beyond that in terms of, of doomsday horrors that can happen to people. But the great lie of Hollywood is that these things are the end of the world. They may feel like the end of the world, but if I'm going to be brutally honest, you have to live afterwards. Life continues, and you have to figure out how to start, not by eradicating the past, not by forgetting the past, not by leaving behind those who, who have gone on, but you have to figure out how to start putting the world back together in a, a different way now that things are changed. There's been a crisis happen, there's been a doomsday, there's been a great suffering come, and now you have to find a way to move forward righteously. In the events that happened in the Nebuchadnezzar destruction of Babylon, people were often turned into monsters. There were people who turned away from God. There were very few people who were able to live righteously after suffering a great tragedy. And we find this in our own world. There are great sufferings that come upon people and they say, well, you know, God must have left me. Therefore, why should I live righteously? It's easy to be turned into a monster after a great calamity. But for the people of God, there's a great responsibility given to us that we still have to live righteously. And thankfully, by the saving grace and power of Jesus Christ, we have a promise that says, when we live righteously and we accept the testimony of Christ, we can see those loved ones again. The new righteousness is not a turning back of the clock. It's not bringing back and undoing history. But what it is saying is that there is a future that is revealed with, through Jesus Christ and in the glory of Jesus Christ where we can be with those who we love again. Yes, and I think as we continue this conversation about the idea of hope in the midst of conflicts, uh, there's a, a Bible passage that often gets spouted out during times of crisis, and we kind of just... I don't know, it spews. It's almost like verbal um, projection. It, it just And people are like, well, well, you know that passage in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And we kind of say it as if that solves all the problems. Um, but if we actually look at where that text is found, Jeremiah takes place, uh, or this part of in the book of Jeremiah takes place a little bit before um, our happenings in Zechariah, but it's still during the Babylonian kind of conquering and exile, and the people are taken away, and it's at the beginning of this exile, and so they, they're being told, you're not going home for a long, long time. 
generations are going to pass and you're going to find that you are going to live and die um, in exile. And they're grieving. They give up. They kind of just all decide, well, okay, fine, whatever. We're just not going to live our lives. And the prophet Jeremiah comes on the scene and says, no, you have to live. You have to keep on. You have to stay true to the promise of who God is. Just because you don't have the temple or the land or the king or the Ark of the Covenant does not mean that God has forsaken you. And you have to continue on because there is hope. There is a plan. There is a future. And even if you don't see it, even if you never feel like you ever get through this crisis, there is still going to be hope. And maybe it won't be realized until after death. But maybe by you being faithful, the generations that come after you um, can experience that hope. And so this is this is really in the midst of all this. And, and the prophets will continue this message um, all the way into Ezra and Nehemiah as they rebuild uh, the temple later on is the idea that bad things are going to happen. But God is still present even when we don't feel it. What is the deal with Satan in chapter 3. Why is it important that he is referred to as Satan in this context? And why do we need to be reminded about the Satan after a crisis? Isn't he always a problem? All right, so in Zechariah chapter 3, we see Satan come to accuse Joshua. And the name Satan actually is important, and it's important for us to talk about this when we're talking about how one pieces life back together after some sort of catastrophe. So, Satan is a particular name. It's not the diabolical one. It's not Lucifer. It's not the light bearer or any other thing that we may associate with the devil. It is a very particular name. The word Satan means the accuser. And the accuser was supposed to be someone who was neither good nor bad, but he would walk to and fro on the earth and he would report back to God what he observed. However, Satan chooses to be evil where it was not appropriate for him to be evil. He chooses to be bad. And what is interesting is Satan is not responsible. He is not the one who initiated and caused the destruction. There were real people responsible for that. There was spiritual decline. There were people like Nebuchadnezzar. People created the doomsday. The world is good at doing this. The world is good at causing bad things. But yet after the catastrophe, after the doomsday, after something bad happened, Satan is there to make things worse. One of the best definitions for evil I have found is that evil is that which adds suffering where suffering is not due. Because sometimes in life, it's appropriate to have suffering, but there are also times where it's not. The devil comes, or excuse me, the Satan character, the accuser, he comes to make suffering worse after the tragedy. And now this is something we can learn a lot in our own lives because there are things which come to our lives to bring suffering. Maybe we lost someone we love. Maybe we had an issue with our job. There are things which come to make life miserable, And then after the fact, there may be something which makes it worse. Maybe you lost someone you love, and now the next holiday, it's not right. There's a missing hole in your heart, and there's something there to make suffering worse. It was supposed to be something which was neither good nor bad. It was just a there thing, but now it's been turned into something which is causing suffering. Zechariah 3 reminds us there are things which add suffering where it's not due, and we are challenged to have the will to persevere. It's not easy to do that. Amanda? Well, and and I think that's the thing. It's also, I think, healthy for us to start naming and differentiating. Um, As we kind of come to this text after several thousands of years of different understandings of Satan and the devil and evil, um, we have to look at things and and be able to differentiate. And so we have to see where there is a cause of our grief and then what is happening that is um, agitating it. And then if that really is evil or if it is something merely that... um, has agitated it. And so we, we have, if we start dealing with things 
and noticing them and being able to call them what they are, we can, I think, deal with them appropriately and have a, a good response. Very good. Very good. Anthony, what do we have next? Do we have time for another question or do we need to go ahead and take a break real quick? No, we can, we can, take, a, we can take another question. All right. Very good. Do you really have the moral infrastructure? Do you really have to have the moral infrastructure if you want to have the physical infrastructure? All right. This is a really important question. And it's one of the things which is outlined and detailed in the book of Zechariah. It starts off saying there's a prophecy. The world is sort of this chaotic, collapsed place and people really don't know where God is. You need these craftsmen to come and piece things back together. It's not someone with royal blood. It's not somebody who's even a prophet or a priest, but instead somebody who is craftsman, tradesman, the practical wisdom. But also they have to have objective standards. There must be some sort of moral code that people can live by if they want to build again. And now this is true both as a society as a large and also on the individual level. If you want the infrastructure of, say, a great civilization. Maybe you want to, to build a Roman world. Maybe you want to come together and have something like America. You have to actually have a moral infrastructure to be able to have that. Being moral people first helps you build a better world. And even though sometimes people are flawed, and America was built on flawed people, but yet they were looking to principles that were bigger and better than them. And I know even Amanda mentioned earlier Nehemiah and building Jerusalem and building those walls again. And you were talking about how they had a spiritual requirement before they could even do that. Right. So um, kind of historically, so we've talked about Jeremiah and we've talked about Zechariah. And then later on, um, they, uh, the empire is to be allow some of the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem and actually to rebuild. And so it happens under Ezra and Nehemiah. And they come and they give these instructions to people how they rebuild Jerusalem, how they're supposed to rebuild the temple. And oftentimes there, there is, uh, they fail and it takes them a long time to get it built. And that is because through Ezra and Nehemiah, the prophets begin to proclaim you can't build something unless you're trusting in God. Basically, that's the moral infrastructure. We derive our morals from who God is. So if you don't do that, then you're not going to actually be successful in building these very physical representations of the people of God. And one more thought. This is where I think a lot of our, our politicians get things wrong. I don't want us to get really involved in politics, but there are a lot of people who try to detach themselves from good morality. And they think that you can, well, we can just have the effects of a good civilization without the morality that's needed to build it. And what you end up having is sort of like a child who stained themselves with a, a dripping piece of chocolate. And instead of getting something like... Um, a wet tissue or something to clean it up. They just get more chocolate and rubble it all over the cell. If you do not have the moral architecture to build something, you can't really want to reap the effects of that. And you see that so much just destroying a lot of what's going on in our world because people, they want the effects of morality without actually doing the investment in that. All right, well, we're up against a, a break, so we'll be back here in a second to do Hot Not or Sanctified. And please, if you would like to donate to us, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. All right, and we are coming back, and now we're going to play Hot, Not, or Sanctified. And this is the game where we decide if things are good and bad theological inspirations. If we say hot, it's good. If we say not, it's not. And if we say sanctified, we're saying only God can decide. Now, what's going to be fun about this is Anthony, who is getting better and better at production, he is going to be 
giving us a list that neither myself nor Amanda have viewed. We have no idea what we're going to be presented with. It's going to be a total hot take, and we're live right now, too, so that's going to make it fun. We have no idea what we're being set up for. He may be making us out to look really, really dumb. We don't know, but we're going to have fun with it. For the record, this is not exactly a list that I would put my name on, but it is titled Seven Prophecies that will be fulfilled before Jesus returns. Oh. And I think this could make for interesting conversation. Oh my, it's going to. Where is this from, by the way? This is coming to us from BeliefNet. BeliefNet, all right. I thought he said the leaf. Belief. The leaf. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, the first prophecy is that a Jewish homeland will be established in Israel. Would you all like for me to elaborate on that? No, that's enough. <laughs> okay, so this is prophecies that will be fulfilled before what again? Before Jesus returns? Yes. That's... I'm going... Ooh, we can only do sanctified once. Yeah. Amanda, I'll let you answer this. Can you can you say the statement again? I think I blanked out for a second. Okay, in full it is, a Jewish homeland will be established in Israel. And it has elaboration beneath if you guys would like me to. No, we don't need that. Well, uh, yeah, and I, I'm sure they, they pick some passage out of context to, to, to um, undergird this argument. Um, I'm, I'm going to just go with not because I think there's a lot of people that are so obsessed with like if, if Israel just would have this physical Jerusalem, then everything's going to get better. And it's like, well, it's really more complicated than that. So I'm going to just go with no. I'm going to say, uh, I really want to say sanctified because I don't think this is actually a well-developed enough statement to rule on. But I'm not going to say sanctified. I am going to going to give a, a decision. I'm, I'm going to take a stand. But let me talk through it first. <laughs> first of all, J- Jerusalem is a physical a sign of the people of God. But one of the things we've already talked about is after they lost the Ark of the Covenant and the t- temple collapsed, the people of God had to figure out we're the people of God no matter where we're at. Right. Um, God comes off the mountain. He comes out of the temple. He goes with us wherever we will be. So the question that the Jews will have a home in Israel is kind of a, it is an important thing, but it's also one of those things where God can be with his people even if they're in Babylon. And that was a big lesson for the people of God to learn, and it's a crucial lesson for us to learn, especially when we're talking about doomsday. I'm going to say hot, but I'm going to say hot because it doesn't necessarily talk about anything specific to politics. It's just sort of an ambiguous, Israel is going to have a home. And though I don't normally like things which are ambiguous, I also don't want people to say, well, it's got to be somebody who's a politician who matches up with this necessarily sect of of you know, political alignments, where it is the people of God, if they are the people of God, and they realize that God is with them, then yes. Well, I would say not, because I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm going to include context in this, and I think that uh, they definitely do not mean it in an allegorical sense. Moving on to the next prophecy, which would be, <laughs> the gospel will be preached to the entire world. Okay, well, oh, gosh, not not a good day for for censorship right now in my brain all right well duh (laughs) that's my response to that well duh because i mean we have it that the 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 gospel of who god is uh um who the triune god is has been proclaimed even through nature since the beginning of creation so of course before christ comes all the gospel will be preached i know that's not what they mean but so i'm just gonna i'm gonna go with with just not again. There's some really bad presuppositions in I'm, that statement. I want to say not. And I'm going to say not. 
And the reason why I'm saying not to this is because this is supposed to be a statement that is a theological inspiration. My problem with the last one is that it basically was saying, if you can go over there and build a geographical Israel, you can kind of force Christ to come back. That's, that's my main problem with the last one. And that still applies to this. If they, people will think, well, if you can get the right politician in office, you can kind of usher in Jesus back. And that's really what they're doing with this. If you can just go to every end of the earth and preach, then you will, have, you will force Jesus to come back. And it's not something which is a yes. timeline we get to decide. And is the gospel being preached? Yes. Do we get to even put parameters on how the gospel is being preached? No. You get a lot of people, and we're in the Church of the Nazarene, they'll come to district assembly, and they might say, why in the world are those young people over there doing a podcast? That's not preaching the gospel. Or they might come in and say, you're not doing the right kind of music. You don't have a glass pulpit. Or maybe you do have a glass <laughs> pulpit. People take the statement of preaching the gospel to mean things that it really wasn't intended to mean. And yet sometimes we miss the point that preaching the gospel is really an act of, of divine revelation through the Holy Spirit to us. And then we're revealing that to other people. So I'm just going to rule not on that. I would say sanctified, but that's because I hope that they don't mean it as a tool to like manipulate Christ's second coming. <laughs> as long as they don't mean it like that, then I'll you know, I'd be willing to say hot, but I don't know that they don't mean it like that. So yeah. I'm going to say I, I'm gonna, I have a suspicion based on the title of this list that they mean it like that. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Amanda? Oh, yeah. I think just the, well, the, the fact is the list is the prophecies that will happen before Christ returns. It, there, There is a very much a, a we must figure this out so we may uh, use it or manipulate it or we don't have to actually have faith. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I felt about it, too. Well, Though it is fun. How, Let, let's keep yes, going. Continue. How specific this next one is might catch you guys even more off guard. This is actually really hilarious. All right. Worldwide communications will exist before the final two witnesses. All right. Is there a reference? Because I really am just curious. Like, just tell if, if there's a biblical reference, what that reference is. No? No? Just, there is no reference. They just are spouting that one off the top of their head. That's fantastic. So we're just going to go with not because I, I don't even know what they're thinking. I'm going to say not because <laughs> this is really conceited. There really is nothing new under the sun. There's just new mediums for it to manifest on. We have new canvases and tools. You go back in time, you see all sorts of crazy things where people were able to transfer information really quickly around the world, even without modern technology. It was slower. Yes, of course, it wasn't like the Internet age, but people have been good at that for a while. I don't. I think that puts way too much, it's just too posh of someone to say, oh, we've got it now. We can snap Jesus back down. Well, yeah, it is awfully pretentious because, I mean, you think the, the reason the gospel was spread in such a way that it was was because of the Roman roads. Yeah. Um, and, and so even though by no means was Rome the entire, or the Roman Empire was the entire world, it was quite a fantastic achievement at the time. Yeah. And even places as far off as China and Southern Africa were connected because of that. And and so, yes, yeah, communication has been happening for a while. And it's just, ugh, this list is making me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to four, Anthony. All right, this one's a little bit more mundane. Natural disasters will be widespread. Again, duh. Like, what, what do they think this is unique or new? Like, oh, it just happened because, <laughs> like, uh, like, as if we haven't had hurricanes, tornadoes, and earthquakes, and, 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 and utter horrors of the we just read from zachariah like honestly <laughs> what do you mean like uh i'm going these people drive me crazy i of course the answer to this is not but i'm going to give them a pass and say hot because it's something which is unfalsifiable it's always true yes because it's always true i will i know i'm not giving them a pass they get a knot on this one not. i'm not being nice to these people they get a big fat knot 
Yes, I agree. Also, not uh, natural disasters are always widespread. Always. So, <laughs> always. the next one: war and violence will will run rampant. Yeah, this is just in the same theme. It just and and I, I, we were talking a little bit beforehand about the words like post-apocalyptic, and we can definitely look at our world and say things are awful. Like it, it's just awful what is happening in our world today. Um, but to imagine that this is somehow worse or it's gotten worse than it has before, I think maybe we we hear about it more. Um, there are some studies that talk about because of the way uh, communication has changed, it changes even the way our brains work and how it receives and understands information that can actually make us more anxious than our ancestors before us. Um, but again, that doesn't listen. They thought World War One was the, they called it the Great War. They still call it the Great War. They thought that was going to be it, and then World War Two happened. And now we're in the midst of, I don't know, Cold War II, World War III, whatever you want to call it. Times are bad, but it's bad because bad people continue to be bad. And it's not going to change. But the people of God are still called to be the people of God, whether Christ comes tomorrow or in the next 2,000 years. So not, in case you're wondering for a definite answer. And not. Um, yeah, war is part of the human condition when people have sin in their lives. I mean, yeah. Not. Okay. Well, this next one, I actually oh, I like this one a lot on an allegorical level. Now, as far as it being required before Christ comes, I'm not so uh, certain. But as far as it being part of the nature of, I guess, the human experience, I like it a lot. So, a charismatic and convincing false prophet will appear. Not, it's been going on since the beginning of of church history. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think to maybe give it a d different spin, it just... I think, it, again, it, it falls in line. We're trying to find that one person, right? If we can name that one person that's the Antichrist or the charismatic character or whatever, then somehow we can uh, predict and use and manipulate that information. Um, so then we can know, oh, now it's time to get ready. Or, you know, and so, it, and it's not. And also it kind of alleviates our own personal responsibility because it's like, well, at least I'm not the Antichrist um, or I didn't vote for the Antichrist. Or however you want to phrase that, it's, but did you, are you a good person? Are you allowing good people to make good decisions? Are you participating in a good community? These are the better questions we should be asking. I actually, I think this is, is quite silly because one, Scripture doesn't specify a single Antichrist. No, in fact, the, if you go to the epistles of John, it says they're, well, it's, it's a plural thing. And also it's not as revelation, it's not like it's, Satan himself, and it's it's not this far sort of far off cosmic thing which is equal to God and equal to Jesus, but it's sort of the dark version of it. There have been people throughout history who have been antichrist, and there have been people throughout history who have done terrible things. You look at the early church; you have people like Marcion, you have Simon Magus, you have people like Manny, you have all sorts of people, even Montanus and Maximilian and Priscilla, and no, not that Priscilla from early church history, the the heretic. Priscilla, not the good Priscilla. But you have people, and if our computer was working better, we would actually have Marcion come on to, to give us his thought on this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, there's been people who have been charismatic. Some of them have lied about what they're planning. Some have been charismatic and been brutally honest. No, not, no, not unique to know. I do complete. I agree with you guys in every single way. But I will also say that it does provide this idea that someone will come in the name of God who's charismatic to lead you in the wrong direction. And that, in our day and age, a lot of people are not thinking in any way on that level. They hear virtue signaling, 
and about God, and all of a sudden it's, you know, we're good with that, let's go that way. Yeah. And so I do want people to be skeptical, and if this could be taken in an allegorical way, I have a lot more sympathy for it. Although I would still say not in the end, because I know that they don't mean it out allegorically. Yeah, they. I'm saying not. It's been happening throughout church history. All right, are we at number seven? Are we at the last one? We are at number seven. All righty. God's people will be hunted and killed. Same argument applies to this as all the others. Um, does anybody know what happened in the early church? Has anybody ever heard of the comb or the 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 griddle? Um, yeah. Has anybody heard of you know the hot chair, the basket, the amphitheater? Uh, people of God have been hunted for a long time, so not. Um, thankfully, in our world here where we're at in America, we are much more blessed than we were. But if you look at places like China now, mm-hmm. um, this has been going on. I mean... Insert time frame here. You'll find people who are trying to live righteous being hunted by by the unrighteous. Mm-hmm. And, and just to kind of conclude our thoughts on this, since we pretty well established this is all not. not. It's not. just not. Um, what if instead of asking what seven prophecies need to be fulfilled before Christ comes, we ask the question, what does it mean to participate in a kingdom that is not, he, not yet, that it has arrived but is not yet in its fullness? And what does it mean to be the people of God? Ooh, and that's a good place to leave. We hope you enjoyed this. Please like um, our video. Please share it. If you really do like our content, you want to see more of it, well, just putting a little like down there or a comment or sharing it will help us out so much. Of course, you can download a free podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes. We're at a different, lot of different podcasting things out there. Please, please, please check out our YouTube channel. Click subscribe and hit the bell because, well, you don't get notifications unless you hit the bell. And that will help us out tremendously. We really want to grow that YouTube platform. I know we do all right on Facebook and a few other places, but please check out YouTube. And on that, God love you and have a blessed day. If you want to talk to someone about any faith-related questions, reach out to us. 